We have all had painful events in our lives that can lead to depression, anxiety, addiction, or broken relationships. But here's a secret. It is not about what happened to us that causes suffering. It's the stories we believe about ourselves. Join us as we shine light on how to rewrite our stories, avoid the shadows of shame, and travel along the pathway to joy, love, and connection. It's the Finding Peace Podcast with your host, Amazon best-selling author, Troy L. Love. I'm sitting in a room with my wife. We are there to celebrate the accomplishments of my daughter and some of the other young women whom she is friends with. They're having a young women recognition meeting and the room is beautifully decorated. They have pictures and a nice flower arrangement in the room. And the girls have just finished singing a song. It's just been wonderful. And then Carol stands up to speak. And I love Carol. She is a wonderful human being. And I always look forward to hearing what she has to say. And she's been invited to be the keynote speaker at this meeting. And so she begins to launch into a story about this woman who was probably in her 70s or 80s who ended up having a stroke. And she had fallen down and she couldn't get to a phone. She couldn't get to any kind of way of notifying anyone that she was in crisis and she wasn't doing well. And so she laid there on the ground for like three days until somebody happens to come by and find her and took her to the hospital and and were able to get her the help that she needed. And I don't remember the point of Carol telling that story. What I remember is as soon as she told the story, I had my first panic attack. All of a sudden, my wife senses that something is different about me because I literally tense up. My heart starts pounding out of my chest. I am having trouble breathing. I want to like get up and run out of the room. I am frozen. I am, I am starting to sweat. My wife puts her hand on my hand and says, are you okay? I can't even talk. I am like, what in the world is going on with me? And as a therapist, I had heard people talk about having a panic attack before. And I'd heard about the severity of what they'd had, but I had never actually known what that felt like until that moment. And in that moment, I had thoughts that were racing through my head about what would happen to me if I had a stroke and uh, what would happen to me if there wasn't anyone around and I couldn't move and I was unable to talk and it was just this flood of panic and fear and stories that were going on and I didn't know I was like frozen sitting there was able to practice some grounding tools that I had taught my clients to use, and I'm going to teach you one of those in a minute. I was able to calm down, but then later that night, in the middle of the night, I woke, woke up right in the middle of the night. Like something had woken me up with that same smothery, overwhelming, anxious feeling, heart pounding, having difficulty breathing, thoughts racing through my head about what if, and I could this could happen, and this could happen, and... And then I 
did a really dumb thing. Uh, I got online and I looked up locked in syndrome. I didn't type in those words, but I typed in something that led me to locked in syndrome. And locked in syndrome is when basically your entire body muscles shut down. They don't move anymore. And so you're just, you can't move. You can't talk. Some people can't even blink their eyes, but their mind is fully awake. So they are fully aware of what's going on around them, but they can't move. And when I looked at that, oh my gosh, another another anxiety attack just flooded me. Like, what, what, what could, what would I do? How could I, how would I be able to handle things? I I learned about a guy who wrote an entire book by blinking his eyes, and oh. Even talking about it now with like the anxiety just so intense at the time is just horrible and I, I couldn't go back to sleep and I'm just lying there with my thoughts racing through my brain about all the horrible things could happen to me and what are the chances that I get locked in syndrome or what are the chances that I get a stroke and so I immediately started looking at well what do I need to do to like prevent a stroke I need to start exercising and I need to start eating right. I need to not put like diet sodas in my body anymore because every time I drink one of those, it increases my chances of having a stroke. And just the thought of not being able to move, not to be able to communicate, but my mind still being active terrified me. And that was the first time that I had an anxiety attack. When I had that, it gave me a deeper appreciation for what other people are experiencing when they have a panic attack, when they're dealing with anxiety. And what I realized was going on is that there are these stories that end up showing up in our lives that reinforce the negative core belief that I am not safe. And if you remember from previous podcasts or from the book Finding Peace, there are three specific genres of negative core beliefs that are tied to wounds. And the genre that usually is tied to anxiety is that sense of powerlessness and the sense of not having any safety. So those two negative core beliefs in particular, that the world is not safe and there's nothing that I can do about it. And it creates this panicky feeling that causes us to then become immobilized. And oftentimes when we are having these triggers, we either go to a fight response where we become angry and we want to uh, punch somebody or we go to a flight response where we want to run away. We want to get away from the danger or we go into a freeze response. And oftentimes when we're in an anxiety attack or a panic attack, we've gone into this freeze response where we don't feel like there's anything that we can do. And part of healing and working through the anxiety is taking a look at what are those negative core beliefs that are showing up in these times of panic and then being able to look through what is the truth about those. How do we resolve those? What is actually true? Is this true? Is it not entirely true? And so as I was trying to work through the feelings of panic about getting locked in syndrome or having a stroke, I had to ask myself, well, do I know that I'm going to have a stroke? And the answer is no. And do I know that I'm going to be paralyzed? 
And the answer is no. And what are the chances that I'm going to get locked-in syndrome? Relatively tiny chances. I mean, it is a possibility, but relatively tiny. And I had to start asking myself these questions. And then I had, especially with the stroke part, was, is there anything I can do to help minimize my chances of having a stroke? And I started to take a look at what I could do. Now, there are things that I can do to help minimize the, the chances of having a stroke. I don't really have control over whether or not that's going to happen or not. I can just minimize the risk. And so I started to take a look at what I could do. And that started to change that sense of powerlessness that I was dealing with before, which was saying that I'm not, I, there's nothing I can do. That helped decrease the anxiety. When I think about locked-in syndrome, and, and nobody really knows even why that happens for people, that, that is a really strong sense of powerlessness when we're dealing with that. But the feeling was that really the chances of me getting that are relatively small. And I can focus my energy and fear about whether I'm going to get locked-in syndrome, or I can look at what I can do in my life today that will be abundant and joyful. And so I had to shift from future thinking, which is also a technique that we deal with when we're trying to resolve anxiety, of living in the future in that panicky stage and bringing it back to this moment here and now, this mindful moment of what can I do today that will bring me joy and live abundantly in this world right now, that will, I can live in peace in this world. And I had to train myself how to do that because there were several moments, several times that I would wake up in the middle of the night with these panic attacks and, and not being able to breathe and feeling smothered and heart pounding. And I'd have to then jump into these dialogues that I had prepared earlier and reminding myself that right now I'm, I'm safe. Right now I'm not, I'm not having locked-in syndrome as evidenced by the fact that I'm pacing in the evening. It's like, and I am talking to myself. So I was able to bring myself to a point where, okay, it's all right. So now when I talk about locked-in syndrome or having a stroke, I feel the fear, but I don't feel the panic. There is concern that I want to be healthy and I want to take better care of my body so that I don't have a stroke, but I don't end up having those panic attacks like I did before because I was able to use some of the strategies that I just talked. One of the ways that we work through that is really taking a look at those negative core beliefs and start to challenge those. And in chapter three of the Finding Peace book, I give you some tools of how do you start to challenge some of those negative beliefs and start to ask some questions about that. If you haven't read the book or haven't had time to do that, you can also sign up for the Finding Peace online class. A link to how to access that Finding Peace online class Will be provided in the show notes. Now it's time for a question. Part of the reason why I was sharing this story is because I, I got a question from one of my clients who said, how do I deal with anxiety attacks, especially when I'm not able to have another appointment with my therapist for a week? What do I do in the meantime when I can't reach out to my therapist? I want to teach you one of the probably the most important strategies 
for dealing with a panic attack. There's lots of strategies, but probably one of the most vital strategies for dealing with panic attacks is breathing. And I shared with you earlier in the podcast about that fight or flight response. Our brains, when we go into that panic, when we go into that fear, our brains have been wired to react like that for centuries. If a hunter is going out into the woods and all of a sudden out comes a bear or a mountain lion, immediately that triggers that fight or flight response. And what happens in that moment is all the blood that normally goes in the brain, especially in the prefrontal cortex, all the blood and energy that normally is distributed evenly throughout our body gets moved. It goes to our heart, it goes to our lungs, it goes to our biceps, it goes to our quads. It draws blood away from our stomach and it's sending all that energy to our heart, lungs and major muscle groups so that we can either fight our way out of the danger or we can run as fast as we can out of the danger. And part of the problem with, I mean, that's it's beautifully designed. Our bodies are beautifully designed that way. But one of the issues that happens is for most of us nowadays, we don't live in a world where bears and mountain lions are jumping out at us. Even me sitting in the room and listening to Carol tell this story, there was no bear. There was no threat in the room. But she started talking about this woman who had had a stroke, and immediately that felt like the bear, even though there was no bear. My brain saw that as a threat, and it reacted the way that it would have reacted if I saw a bear or a mountain lion. Immediately, all the blood, all the energy goes to my heart and lungs, my major muscle groups. I'm getting tense, I'm getting tight, and my brain stops working. It's really interesting. Our body sends all the energy to our major parts of our body. And in that moment, our body does not consider our brain a vital organ. It's very interesting that it it just doesn't. And so because of that, all of a sudden, I'm not thinking clearly anymore. All that energy that's usually in my prefrontal cortex is gone. And I'm not thinking very clearly anymore. I'm not making rational thoughts or decisions I am reacting to this perceived threat that isn't even there, but feels like it's there. One of the most efficient and powerful ways of being able to calm that down is to breathe from our diaphragm. And most of us don't actually breathe from our diaphragm. I I teach my clients how to breathe from their diaphragm by having them lay down on the ground on their back. And then I put a book or something heavy between their belly button and their sternum and then they breathe and when they're breathing correctly the book or the heavy object is moving up and down with every breath that they take but we don't normally breathe diaphragmatically most of us breathe pretty high in our lungs and so we're not really using our diaphragm muscle at all to breathe and so we breathe pretty shallowly and the problem with that is that when we're not using our diaphragm then it's not sending the signal to our brain that we're doing okay. When we're breathing very shallowly, that actually sends the signal to our brain that we're in an emergency. When we're getting ready to run or we're getting ready to fight, 
really that energy is tense and tight and we're breathing not that correctly. We're just very shallow, just trying to get in as much oxygen as fast as we can, the kind of thing, so we can get ready to to run or whatever. But when we are able to breathe diaphragmatically, that slows things down. And it immediately sends a signal to our brain that says, hey, we're not having an emergency. We're actually safe. And the more that we're able to breathe diaphragmatically from that place of pulling our diaphragm in and out, it's really sending that message to our brain that says, things are good. There is no bear. We're going to be all right. And immediately our brain begins to calm down. Breathing diaphragmatically is a really powerful way of being able to work through the anxiety, but you have to make sure that you learn how to do it right. So like I said, I have my clients lay down on the floor and then I put the heavy object on their stomach and you can do this without having a heavy object. You can put your hands on your stomach right between your belly button and your sternum with your middle fingers just barely touching each other. And then when you breathe in, it's going to feel, if you're doing it right, it's going to feel like you have this balloon in your stomach. And when you breathe in, the balloon is going to fill up with air. And it's almost like we're filling it up from the bottom. And so we breathe in. And as we do so, we're going to notice that our fingers pull apart just a little bit. And we can feel the breathing in and we can feel like this balloon expanding and our fingers are pulling apart and then we breathe out and the balloon collapses and our fingers move back together and we begin to breathe in and out slowly like that in and out breathing in breathing out and I find that it helps if we breathe in through our nose and out through our mouth and so I'm breathing in and breathing out. And when I have my clients learn how to just breathe diaphragmatically, just that alone, they be immediately feel this tension leaving their body. They feel the panic and the, the tightness start to leave and they begin to feel more relaxed. And so then we just focus on breathing in and out. We focus on the breath just in and out. And the more that we do that, the every time we do that, we're sending the signal to our brain that life is good. We're chill. We could relax. We can fall asleep if we need to. There's no danger here. And when that happens, then the blood begins to go back up into our prefrontal cortex. That's the executive part of our brain where we make executive decisions. It's now has the energy that it needs to be able to make solid decisions. We're better able to manage our emotions. We're better able to identify what is real and what isn't real. And we're able to work through those kind of things. And that's what I had to do when I was sitting there hearing about this woman who was having a stroke. I had to breathe, get myself back into breath, and then engage my prefrontal cortex to start challenging those negative core beliefs. Begin to figure out, well, what is true? What's really true? And how can I live according to those truths in a way that brings me more peace? And that's really the finding peace process in a nutshell. Identifying what the lies are, whether those are being told by the shadows of shame or our negative core beliefs that are tainting our 
paradigm and perspective of the world and then beginning to rewrite those in a positive way, in a truthful way, where we're able to then step into the emotion that comes from those truths and being able to feel the joy and the love and the peace that comes from being able to find the truth related to those negative core beliefs. Another activity that you can do as you are working through this anxiety issue is practicing self-love, practicing self-compassion. It is so easy for us to be hard on ourselves and beat ourselves up and say what's wrong with us, like I can't believe we can't get our crap together, that we can't get our lives together, I keep having these anxiety attacks, I keep having these panic attacks for no reason, like what's wrong with me and, and going into the shame place where the shadows of shame show up and start to beat us up and tell us how awful we are. It's so easy to go into a place like that. But that's not particularly helpful because it just compounds the negative core beliefs that there's something wrong with me, that I'm powerless, that I can't change anything. It just compounds all of those and perpetuates the anxiety, which is not what we want. So practicing self-compassion is actually a beautiful tool that I've been learning about, especially in the last year, as a way of being able to work through some of this anxiety, a way to work through some of the trauma that we've experienced in our lives through self-compassion. You may or may not know, but in November of 2019, my new book, A Year of Self-Love, is coming out, and it is 365 entries to help us remember how to be kind to ourselves. It has some quotes, it has some activities, it has some stories, it has some mantras that we can use to remind ourselves that we are worthy of love and belonging, that we matter, and helps us shift our negative core beliefs into positive core beliefs. And what I've discovered is that when I am able to stand in my truth, that I am worthy of love and belonging, I do have choices and I have things that I can do. And there are people in the world that I can lean on and depend on. My world changes. My anxiety goes to almost zero and I am able to show up for the loved ones and the friends and family and my clients in a much better way. I'm able to be more present for them because I'm not distracted by all these shadows and negative core beliefs and the pain associated with it because I've been practicing self-compassion. And it's actually a beautiful way of being able to resolve some of the issues that are related to anxiety. So that's another tool. If you would like to get your copy of A Year of Self-Love, you can do so. I will put the link in the show notes of how you can access and get pre-order your copy of A Year of Self-Love. And uh, it's coming out right before Christmas, so you also may want to buy that for one of your friends or family members or loved ones if you feel like that would be helpful for them. I just want to say as I'm ending the podcast today that I have a greater empathy and understanding of anxiety and the debilitating effects that anxiety can have. And unfortunately, we live in a world now where there is, you watch the news 
and there is catastrophe after catastrophe after catastrophe. There's bitterness in politics, there is hate, there's crimes, there's tempers and mass shootings, and, and the world seems like it's so much worse than maybe it's ever felt before. And so it's so easy then to get caught up in watching all of that or listening to all of that and having that reaffirm the negative core beliefs that my world is not safe and there's nothing that I can do. In fact, uh, I had one therapist who recommended that you don't watch the news anymore. Don't continue to feed that negative core belief by watching the news. Find joyful things. Because the truth is, Yes, there is a lot of bad things that are happening in this world, but there's also a lot of good that is happening in this world. There are people who are doing wonderful and kind things for each other every day in this very moment. And there are people who who you can serve and you can love, and there are people who can love you. And that is the beauty of finding peace is being able to be in that place where we can see it, we can recognize it, we can practice gratitude around the kindness and the love that exists in the world. And it really does. I think that's the quest. That's part of the reason why I wrote the book Finding Peace is so that we could find it. We could know that it's there and we can hold on to it and we can lean into it and we can celebrate it and we can breathe into it. So I really hope that you're able to find more peace. If you found that this podcast was helpful, or if you have other questions that you would like to submit, please do so. You can write comments in the comment section of the show notes if you want, or you can also send me an email at troy at troyllove.com. You've been listening to the Finding Peace podcast. If we added value to your life, let us know or give us a rating. Before you go, subscribe to the show and get new episodes as soon as they are published. Thank you for spending part of your journey with us. And don't forget to grab your free copy of the Amazon best-selling book, The Art of Peace, by going to www.troyllove.com. Copyright Finding Peace Consulting.